0: Let's get it.
1: What is good with y'all this is the chop up show I am I motor political plug here on another Thursday ready to chop up and chill get it in have this wonderful conversation man I am here with the wonderful best co-host in the world Toya G. uh she's also I mean, our, our hoodie game today is on point uh go ahead show them the hoodie toya research, oh, over, research me over me search research me. over me search hey hey it's Wait, a it's like
0: consciously dot no problem. Right. There. The con-
1: right. Uh, research over search, It's a lifestyle, not a slogan. Uh, with that being said, we want to thank y'all uh, for joining us for uh, another beautiful conversation that we have built for y'all. Uh, Miss Ma'am is already in the building. We definitely appreciate you for joining us. Y'all know as y'all come, y'all come in, make sure y'all say what's up. Uh, but without further ado, Toya, I think we, we should just go ahead and get into this, right?
0: Let's jump. Let's dive in face first. Let's do it.
1: Okay. So, the first thing we're going to talk about, uh, what we're going to call this, I guess today another political chop, huh? Just
0: Why not?
1: Today, right? Hey, we Personal is always political. Everything
0: is political. So, let's, you know. Everything is political. Right.
1: (laughs) Of course. So, um, again, with with, with today's political chop, we are discussing, the first thing we're going to talk about, some wild shit that came out of Missouri. Uh, Now, we are Missourians. And yeah. so you know, we I like to I like to pay close attention to what's going on and where we at, and what's happening right now. The kind of like the what got everybody up for it now, is is it's kind of depressing. It's kind of frustrating, um, and it it definitely deserves a conversation. And so uh, Representative Mike Moon uh, out of Missouri uh, was having a debate. The Missouri state legislator was engaged in a debate oh, me- over.
0: I want to be clear. Missouri is a very red state. Give you a little context for kind of how clear. Missouri exists in the to be greater clear. context of what states be doing. Didn't mean to cut you off. You were talking about Mike Moon. Take it away.
1: Right. So uh, in this super red state uh, in, of Missouri, Mike Moon, who is a representative in the state legislature, uh, was debating uh, one of his Democratic colleagues over uh, a piece of legislation that was introduced that would possibly ban gender-affirming uh, surgery for children. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they were engaging in this debate, actually, instead of me explaining to y'all what it sounds like, yeah, I, I feel like y'all, y'all really should just hear this y'allself.
0: I've heard you talk about parents' rights to raise their kids how they want. In fact, I just double-checked, you voted no on making it illegal for kids to be married to adults at the age of 12 if their parents consented to it. You said, actually, that should be the law because it's the parents' right and the kids' right to decide what's best for them, to be raped by an adult, okay?
1: Do you know any kids who have been married at age
0: 12? That was the law. You You voted not to change it.
1: Do you know any kids
0: who have been married at age 12?
1: I I, I don't need to. I do. Uh, And guess what? They're still married. Gentlemen. Mm
0: -mm. Mm -mm.
1: Okay, so um, if, if, if y'all couldn't hear it, if there was some issues with you, with you hearing at all, to be clear, Representative Mike Moon was called uh, into question for voting against raising the uh, child marriage age up to uh, 15 or 16. And his defense of saying like, yes, I voted against raising that age was to say, well, I know some 12-year-olds that, that, that's been married. His defense was to say that he knows 12-year-olds that have been married. Now, mm-hmm. to be fair to Representative Moon, uh, he is speaking about two 12-year-olds marrying each other.
0: No, I think that difference? is not to be yeah. fair. It's to undermine his l- larger uh, message that he's trying to portray as okay, which is that adults should be able to engage with children him leaving out that detail doesn't make it sound any better to me it makes it sound like you are driving a very very violent and problematic uh framework and relationship to that policy that doesn't even speak to the reality of the only shit that you are talking to you just want us to really believe that it is okay and should be lawfully okay for a child to be with an adult and that is disgusting to me
1: yeah and and i think that's a great point that you make uh the reason why I say to be fair is because right now he's trying to clean it up and he's trying to say, well, I, when I said that I know some 12 year olds that got married, he's saying that I knew two 12 or I know two 12 year olds who married each other. And they're still married to this day. Now, granted, still wrong, He's still wrong in every sense of, right. I, I mean, because what the circumstances that he described was that the, the, uh, the 12 year olds were in a relationship. Right. And again, we talking about the same people who say that everything else out there is sexualizing children. Yeah. The same people who, who talk about how in, in in every instance that like you even had was talking about huggy diapers is, is helping and working with pedophiles. Right. But you have a conservative lawmaker that is looking his colleagues in the face and saying, yes, I think 12 I think that are, I think we should keep it at the age 12 because of this this one obscure example of some people that I know. Ignoring the fact, like you said, that the law makes it possible for an adult to marry a 12-year-old. Yeah.
0: Which is the biggest issue, right? I think... There are a lot of criticisms. People can come up with 12 year olds kind of getting into relationships with each other that are just pat, like in general. There are a lot of people who criticize the idea of 12 year olds getting in a relationship. But, you know, some people wave that away as the you know need for individuals to go through processes of maturation and there to be a healthy way for young people to build healthy relationships with each other. Cool. But I, I still think. The idea of 12-year-olds getting married is also just kind of ridiculous. Like, in what ways does any 12-year-old, 12-year-olds don't know how to be good brothers and sisters yet. They don't know how to be good siblings yet. They don't know how to be good kids yet, good cousins, good classmates. How are you really trying to guarantee that somebody a 12-year-old, 12 years old, and I'd also like to say there's 22, 25, 30-year-olds who don't know how to deal with and relate with and have the emotional responsibility to deal with a marriage to somebody Man. else so i know you're not I'm married at 35
1: now. and i'm still struggling shit i don't know if Listen, i'm doing it right
0: <laughs> on top of the fact that the average 12 year old i mean i won't say the average 12 year old but i will say i think i got my cycle when i was 12 or 13 i was in like the eighth grade i wasn't one of those like earlier bloomers that ended up with there. so you got people getting married that a can have babies that young and we know they don't care about kids when it becomes when it comes a question of how much pressure is put on younger girls bodies when they end up having to be pregnant so now we really know you double it down on not caring about that shit but also secondly is you have people getting married and you said before the show you talking about married like we don't know what married people do right so now you got people who can't even produce a child participating in the reproductive process or being legally allowed to do those things but they're not even old enough to get their first period like it just (laughs) what are we doing? What no and we're not doing shit, what are they doing? what is the logic, what is the thought process and conservatives want to be known as like this parents rights party Right, the ones that stand up for the rights that parents have—they want to be known as the ones who are really a part of agenda making that allows and reinforces and reinvites parents back into the driver's seat of how children, uh, you know, uh, develop and come to be and exist in our society and in our world. But terrible parents, <laughs> y'all want to go first, y'all trash.
1: I, and, and what I think is just the greatest hypocrisy in all this, which I feel like conservative and hypocrisy is becoming synonymous at this point. is just it's, that. You 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 have these these claims and violence being enacted against uh queer people. You have people like literally running around with pitchforks trying to challenge uh uh what's it called? The the reading out. The reading uh, uh, where the, 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 they the read queen. to the kids, drag, drag queen because I wanted yeah. to say trans, but they wasn't trans, it's drag queen. Nah, drag you can queen be a drag queen
0: know. and not be trans. You can be trans and i be right. a drag queen. So I'm trying to yeah. be clear
1: like the drag queen the drag queen reading hour is is again i'm because i'm always going to talk to y'all about the culture war that we are currently engaging in right there's a fight happening about culture conservatives are taking issues such as uh the drag queen reading hour and saying mm-hmm. that they're sexualizing our kids yes but y'all are literally saying that that 12 year olds should be allowed to engage in 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 marital Because what ends up happening, let's be clear about how these types of laws work. If a grown man gets the permissions of a parent uh, uh, from the perspective of Mike Moon Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: and how he thinks legislation should look, if a grown man gets permission to marry a child at the age of 12, that means that any type of engagement that takes place in their home is is legal. Mm you legal. You're literally legalizing pedophilia. To to say that twelve years old now, to be honest, I think even fifteen, saying that people could be getting married at fifteen, all all of that's really like hella problematic to me. And and the and the issue is that it's only like seven states that have like straight up bans on on uh, on child marriages. Most states literally give some type of permission to, to child marriage uh for like between the ages of you know 15 16 etc but like we still, but 15 16 17 we still talking about minors right and so when you have a cult, like when you have like in and in, in a lot of these states are conservative states they are red states i, mean, I, think
0: and, all of and, you, I don't i don't
1: think any of those states go ahead but see it's oh, but but see the problem with california california has no age exemption hmm. Like literally in the state of California, there's no, if, if a parent says you can marry this child, the state of California is like, all right, whatever age, that's your way. I your mean, wife. See,
0: but that, that's what lets you know, as much as we can couch this as a party particular issue, right? One that is consistent mm-hmm. with conservative politics. We also have to recognize the overall freedom and flexibility that a patriarchally and male dominated culture designs, desires to design around Childhood marriage, right? This is not a solely party-based, politic-based thing. There are other metrics or matrices of power, things like gender, th- gender, gender, things like sex, right? That allow for men who are largely making these decisions and are big parts of these conversations and are ones who passing this legislation to make it okay. I also think that it's very important. To recognize that this whole 12-on-12 12 12 action, like a 12-year-old can marry a 12-year-old, is just literally probably in the minority of likely scenarios for how this shit plays out. Because if I'm just thinking about, I ain't got no churn, but you in my house in 12 and married, and they in their house in 12 and married, that creates headache logistics. I don't think either one of those households, (laughs) not saying it will never happen, but will run to be like, yes, y'all need to get married. We see the vision for y'all's love so far that we are willing to be in different households because you can't be 12, two 12-year-olds in a household. Then you just ask them for the house to burn down at that point. So it's not like they moving out and moving into their own space. You likely will have to gerrymander some meaningful Uh, uh, and very stressful arrangement for two 12-year-olds to be married. So I don't even think that's the majority of the cases. I think laws like this are legalized so that old dirty men can go find young girls, take them back to households where then they're legally bound. You know, you can't uh, uh, criminalize your your partner and there are certain legal defenses that you have from being married. There are certain protections that you have. And I feel like it is those situations where it's more likely that they want to go get married to them, take them away from you know, the, the, the scope of the public eye and from people who can really kind of help them understand and identify things like abuse, things like violence, things like emotional abuse.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Right? Too young to know what those things are.
0: Exactly. And if I isolate you from your care unit, from your support unit, from the people who are able to make those decisions for you, from a mother or a parent that will be able to have you take a sit down after a rough date and say, oh, babe, what's wrong? Oh, he said, what? Oh, hell no, that person. You you skip over that whole part of maturation and development where people allow for you to see what a healthy relationship is, help you to understand right. what toxic relationships are. And now you only right. get that context for the person you married. How much sense is I, I just I think it's wild. you know, And I, I appreciate... Uh, our folks in the comments hood therapy j universe for chiming in with us and kind of you know sharing our frustration and disbelief in this because i think that's what really makes the whole situation sad now you showing us something Clug, but it's a little glitchy is it flashing? It's kind of, yeah it's yeah, doing it's, like a astrium
1: weird yeah but okay, so what what wasn't you were
0: pulling up it's, it's better now talk to us about it what's up bunch of dragon what's good with you
1: yeah so these are all the uh these are all the places where uh it's banned with exception there is 33 red states that is banned. So Missouri fits within the ban, but with the exception from 15 and up. Mm. Uh, ban with exception means that nah, it's not it, it's not allowed unless the parents say so, you know, those types of things. Um, there are 12 states where there is no minimum age at all.
0: Right.
1: 12 states, no minimum age at all, four states that uh take it that are banned without exception. No yeah. child marriage at all, not happening. Uh, and and so way, those, at, are, those
0: are at,
1: Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Minnesota. Right, the only ones that got it right. <laughs> the <laughs> only ones that got it right is Minnesota, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. Child marriage should be banned. Period. And what's crazy is that this is the type of uh, like violence that gets normalized that yeah. we don't that we don't have enough conversations about to know the actual detriment and danger of these types of things right? Like it's this, these things occur, like with this many states having exceptions to child marriage, these things occur at a much higher rate than we would give the credit for.
0: I mean, what you know, I want to point out too, though, that I teach argumentation courses. I teach com courses. So I have a lot of students give a lot of speeches over current events and current issues that shape our society. And I've actually, because of that child marriage has been on my radar for a long time. I've haven't been having, I think every semester Or so I have a student who comes in and it doesn't matter what gender they are, there are just people every semester or so for the last few years who have been like, wait till I tell y'all about this craziness happening right here in our own state and in this broader country they really out here letting folk marry cheering. And so, you know, it's been on my radar, but to hear somebody be so blatant about it in terms of the representative that, um, you know, is was was the major part of this conversation. Mike Moon name, is his
1: name. Missouri representative I have no desire. I have no
0: desire to indulge in or That's why I need to say, what's his name again? That man uh, who said that weird shit <laughs> from the state of Missouri um, is, is one voice amongst many who thinks it's absolutely okay, not only for 12-year-olds to get married or participate in that institution, uh, but... Shit, clearly it's 12 states or so that you could be nine, you can be eight, as long as your mama alright with it, as long as your mama and your daddy is smooth, then y'all can be out here doing whatever. So it's it's rough. It's so rough. then
1: so then my question, my question to you, Toya, is what is it what does it mean for conservatives to go on this this you know, this uh this, you know again, this culture war mm-hmm. challenging queer politics, challenge, I mean, even you can have disagreements about you know what uh gender affirming surgery for for youth right that, that could that it could be a health it could be a conversation to be had mm-hmm. but can you have that conversation when you're literally advocating for children to be able to to be in uh like literal legal marriages that that means that they that, that the question of consent becomes very iffy you feel me like 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 king like even even the conversation of raping your wife
0: Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that, that exactly. becomes that
1: much that much more iffy. So like, uh, what does it mean for conservatives to have a perspective on sexual on uh, sexualizing children when it comes to gender affirming surgery, but not when it comes to actually being engaged in like
0: marriage? I think that it means obviously that they are walking talking contradictions who are terrible at defending the needs of children as opposed to the rights of parents to determine what children need. And 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 what's the scariest part of that, that there is not enough people to point out the contradictions. Like literally there are enough people that agree with them and affirm their politics. Or here's my favorite part, affirm so many other Uh, parts of uh, Republican or conservative politics that they're willing to take the bullshit like this and run with it because it already aligns with so much more that's on the agendas of conservatives. And so what does it mean? I think it means that it's contradictory, but there are not enough people who agree with the lack of logic. There are just so many mental gymnastics you have to go through to believe in the conservative agenda to really invest yourself in conservative politics. I think that's what confuses me because y'all want to put kids first, and y'all know what's best for kids, and you know what what hurt what won't hurt kids and what will help kids. But you will let these same kids go get shot and killed at their schools, right? You know what's best for kids. You know what will hurt kids, but you will let that same child die on a uh, a, a a table. This same child that I got a, got pregnant from this old ass man, body wasn't ready to take it. You will have that same wife go into a medical facility. And die on the table because they wouldn't be able to get an abortion to get rid of that child because their body wasn't built and That's made it. to have it. The That's
1: mental an gymnastics. That's an interesting intersection.
0: I'm just like you can't because you can't
1: you can't run past that. The same people that will tell you that abortion should be ill like should be banned in every instance, yeah, will also tell you that a grown man should be able to get a 12, 13 year old pregnant. Whose body has not, like Toya said, developed enough mm-hmm. to where, like childbirth, is her body can deal with it. Yeah. So, man. So, but let, so let me ask you. Go ahead. No, you go ahead.
0: I'm just.
1: No, okay. So the, the next. So the next question. The next question I have is: as much as we hear in our, all this controversy that we hear from conservatives, do we take conservatives serious? When they talk about protected, like o- over sexualizing children, because they're the loudest voices, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I mean, and, and from and from the way that I would answer that question is that I think that is I think it's, I think it's possible to take the sexualizing of children serious while not taking conservative serious, because with, yeah. what happens is when you call them in the question, what they try to tell you is that oh, you don't care about the, the children. You don't care about what's happening to our children. Motherfucking neither do you.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> like, is what is, I, is I think. What the <laughs> Dragon said, uh, not everything is okay as a parent, like in Virginia, kids can get medical care without parents because of Christian scientists. And so I think there is a constant battle, a constant back and forth to figure out just what you having had a child makes you, and it puts you in a good position to decide about. Or just because you had a child, what equips you or qualifies you to make half the decisions you make in any way? Right, but right. my bad. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just thought that that was a
1: good kind of connection to what you were getting well, at. No. Well, no, well, no, well, So, so how, so like, how would you articulate like disagreeing with, with with conservatives in in their approach to defending children, but then at the same time, still like letting niggas know like, yes, sexualizing children is a bad thing. Period. Right? How? Like, how?
0: No, I, ask the question again.
1: So this is what happens. Mm-hmm. The, the same people that will allow for 12 year olds to get married. Yeah. They're the loudest about sexualizing children right now. They have, And when I say the loudest, I mean, they're, they're, they get the most mainstream, right? Every time they get an opportunity, they talking about Democrats are sexualizing our children. There was, there was mm-hmm. recently a controversy surrounding uh, uh, Huggies diapers They said Huggies diapers were pointing children out for pedophiles. And so, how do you then, like, as a debater, as somebody who's able to, you know, make some pretty decent argumentation? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Somebody tells you, somebody tells you, Toya, y'all don't, as as a a leftist, y'all don't care about uh, over sexualizing children. As a leftist, because Mm -hmm. this, 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 that, and the third. Like Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's laptop and Pizzagate, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That all of that take place. Y'all don't care about the sexual, like over sexualizing children. How do you respond to that? Not like knowing again what's happening. Because I think you're
0: trying to. How would you respond to that? Because I mean, to me, I say this is. And the reason why I toss it back at you is that I feel like this is the current debate and conversation. There has been a you don't really know about kids or you don't really care about kids or you don't really put the interest of kids first. And I think liberals are able to turn around and say that same thing. And so I'm trying to figure out in what ways we resolve that debate and that back and forth in that argument, because it's the same argument being made on both sides. Right. And I right, think that right. there are concerns that conservatives have that they've been able to twist and kind of turn into a desire for there to be completely complete lawlessness when it comes to raising kids where nothing is out of boundaries this, that and the other but we are saying the same thing about what we see in their politics so i guess i'm turning the question back on you and saying as a debater what would your response be to the tension within those two positions y'all niggas don't give a fuck
1: about kids (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) that was no straight up like that's that's my response y'all niggas don't give a fuck about kids like the, the whole, the, like y'all are looking for opportunities to be able to just like throw some shit on your political enemies. Yeah, that's all it is. Like the whole child conversation, just like the whole CRT conversation. Because remember, they trying to tell you CRT bad for the kids. They are trying to tell you that CRT teaches children to either hate themselves if they're black or white students to hate themselves if they white because like y'all both are just bad. That's what they try to tell you yeah. and try to explain CRT as which that ain't it, right but so when so when people when they, when they're trying to bring this conversation to the forefront, it's like, no y'all got me fucked up. I'm not even about to take the shit that y'all own serious are like, you really trying to talk to me about kids but you live in like if there's no outrage? About what Mike Moon said? Y'all like, well, nah, he didn't mean nah fuck that. Even twelve year olds I mean- getting married, period. Even if a twelve-year-old marries another twelve year old, if y'all allow that, if y'all set that up, if y'all if, if two if, if two sets of parents let that be okay, all four of y'all are fucked up. Yeah. And then every politician that thinks it's okay for them to do it is fucked up. Y'all are okay with sexualizing children because y'all put them in in, in relationships where sex becomes the norm. What does married people do? It's, like I I couldn't make a joke about, yeah, well, married people, actually.
0: Yeah, but no. <laughs> but I'm not going
1: to <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not be funny about it. But what does right. marriage... Ma- marriage makes sex acceptable. Yeah. Marriage makes sex acceptable. If a grown man marries a 12-year-old, if a 12-year-old marries another 12-year-old, regardless of the circumstance, 12-year-olds, 12-year-olds are engaging okay. in sex. What was you about to say?
0: Well, Lauren is in the comments, kind of chiming in with us. And one of the things that they said is that most Republicans don't care about kids; these fuckers only care about power and authoritarianism. And that is really, I think, well, as we look at this debate about who really cares, cares about kids most—Republicans uh, or Democrats, conservatives or liberals—I think liberals. I think that the one place that liberals really are ahead uh, of them in terms of how they care about kids is the fact that at least the things, the positions that they stand for, are rooted in objective science and research, research over research, that actually describes or explains the justifications for the decisions that they're making. One example, I'll give you one. Today, I believe I heard that the state of California defended a decision to not force students, and this might not be the state of California, it might might have been a particular district, but voted to defend the ability for students to be out if they are trans in school without that having to be out at home, right? Like, or that the school can't force uh, parents to know there was a like a policy on the table or that was being voted on or something like that. That said that if, if if trans students were out or transitioned at school, they automatically had to have parents notified about their transition. Like the, their parents have to know that they're being outwardly really transitioned at school. And that was the conservative perspective and criticism that your kids should not be able to be trans and be out and be transitioned at school. And that whatever they are, whoever they are, ought to align with what's happening at home. Now, a lot of parents are out there like, hmm. Okay, I actually, you know, I do want to know you, you know, old school people outside of being trans, you know, we used to walk out the house in one thing and then come back home in another, thing, right? The whole I, fit. Yeah. I know my homies <laughs> definitely like I mean, I wasn't the girly girl that was gonna walk up and you know have what else one version of an outfit on and then put on another version, but my friends did, and I definitely know my friends so, that were so guys
1: version <laughs> of that, the guy version of that. Oh, yeah, i yeah. my fans down. Let me bust that. Listen, side you know too. what I'm saying? I was just like, I know for a fact y'all
0: had them belts on. Yanked them over real pay, oh, yeah. up. and then we got to the schoolhouse, and that shit was nowhere to be found. And so, but what we see, and one of the reasons why that particular policy change was not able to be uh 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 defended is that um, what we see is the reason why that policy change wasn't able to be defended was that uh they Pulled on the research, called on the research about trans students and re- trans kids and recognized that sometimes and a lot of times in their transitional phases of their young adult lives and in their lives in general, some of their biggest bullies, some of their biggest uh, uh threats, some of their biggest sorts of viol- sources of violence are in the home itself. They don't have trouble mm-hmm. being their true and full selves out in the community and in the world. Cool, yeah. They struggle with the targeting bully- bullying and violence that they get at the crib. So, again, research, science. Studies over time, understanding the experiences of trans students, the reason why they decided to defend students or to protect kids by saying they didn't have to tell their parents about transitioning. Let's look on the other side of this issue. You have this whole conversation about parents' rights to determine when kids get married at 12. And what's the what's the logic behind that? What's the support for that reasoning? What objective research, what scientific information, what peer reviewed Kind of sources or research is being used to justify the need for a 12 year old to get married. I ain't seen none yet. Mm-mm. Outside of the delicate kind of protection we try to have for other cultures and their norms, it's and all ways religious. That, you know what I'm saying? It's we religious. can't be overly xenophobic and castigating other cultures. So you can do that shit over there. We're just not going to do that over here. But besides right. that, what critic, what, what justification do you have?
1: Yeah, right? I'm There's sorry.
0: None.
1: Even, even because, and that's what. I and I agree with what you just said to the umpteenth degree. I like religion is not an excuse to marry a child. all. your your spiritual background, your spiritual belief is not an excuse to marry a child. Those things just are not. It they're not conducive, right? Like, it, I mean, I think there's a biological reality, and then there's a there's there's a moral standard to where you know we we've, we've reached a place in society where a part of the reason why we moved away from our religious. Uh, control of 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 our society has to do with the fact that what certain religious perspectives allow. And I, you know, I ain't gonna go too far because we about to move on to the next part of the conversation. But the one thing I do want to point out is that, for example, when Mike Moon, uh, and I and I was I was I, I wasn't trying to pull this up at that moment, but I did want to show this screen real quick again, just the article, so people will know who we talking about. So when you talking about hmm, I need to talk shit to my legislator. This is somebody you need to talk shit about. Right, especially if in the Republican district, um, and that is when when you have uh, the thing the, the the thing that we need to make sure that that we're that, that we have a full understanding of is that these are the people that dictate all like how our communities are ran, how these like how our communities are operated, and so when we start having conversations about like what's allowed in the home versus what's allowed in school, right? Like what protections exist where. You feel me? Like, like I said, again, when we deal with like these gen- issues of gender, issues of race, issues of sexuality are so subjective that they require debate to be understood. Right. Like I feel like me and Toya, it, like, y'all, y'all know how tight we are. But at the same time, uh, amongst these issues, we have strong disagreement. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like so uh, I mean, in terms of like race and other things like. Uh,
0: to be clear, so, we agree on you should not be able to. We agree
1: on this, though. <laughs> you feel me? We agree on this. Children should not be able to, to, to marry. Period. Like, I think, like, that's the place where we have to get to, to where there are certain things that aren't up for question. There are certain things that are up for debate. And whether or not a 12 year old should be engaged in a, in a, uh, re- like, it, whether or not a 12 year old should be in any serious relationship, right? I wish I would have came home talking about telling my mama as a 12-year-old, I got a little girlfriend. That don't mean shit to her. She's like, But that's some yeah. school shit. That, a, that is not <laughs> real. That's not serious. Boy, whatever. You know what I mean? And then, and then, and then that's even more problematic because we can get into how boys, like I, I never had, like if I wanted to say I had a little girlfriend, people just thought that was cute. Right. But if my sisters would talk about that type of shit, then it would be like, girl, you being fast. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. So
1: it's, it's, it's like so these these gender politics are, are much deeper uh, than the way the conservatives treat it and the way that they, they they try to present it. And while conversation is important, what we don't need to be conversing about is whether or not 12 year olds
0: mm-hmm. should be
1: engaged in actual serious relationships that, that we call marriages. When we are already saying that children at the age of 12 should not be sexualized.
0: That's, Period. that's I mean, you, we got You can't have it both ways. Right at 12, you can't do anything out into the out in the world under your own name, even being emancipated. No reputable establishment is going to participate in that foolery, said Miss Ma'am in the comments, which speaks a whole lot to what the point is, what you set these people up to deal with or having to experience if you justify these relationships. I was gonna ask a question like, so, uh, Dominique, do you think or you know, do you think that it'd be more realistic if? Excuse me, the law was limited to like two 12 year olds. Like, you got to be 12 in order to marry another 12. But no, I don't think the law should say that silly shit either. I think <laughs> you should wait <laughs> until you can take on every other responsibility codified by law. Because here's the thing that blows my mind about if
1: you can't these smoke no a cigarette, students. you shouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Like,
0: how if you can't consent. To a whole bunch of other shit over here. How can all of a sudden you consent to shit over here? Like, I don't understand. This is all in a world, too, where we know that age of 18 is arbitrary because the brain doesn't start developing or stop developing until between 25 and 27. Right. So there's a bunch of things that I would even argue that even 18 year olds shouldn't be able to do, but that's the line everybody chose. Why not stick to that one? What logic, what sense does it make to start picking out and parsing out and all of a sudden assuming that people are more ready at this stage to do this big life altering, changing things, but they're not old enough in this world to do these big life changing, life altering things. Like the logic just doesn't add up. That's really, I mean, beliefs and politics and morals and ethics aside, values aside, I just like shit that makes sense. I think that's what perplexes me about conservatives And 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 a a lot of people who defend any line or any stream of thought that can be woven back to their particular school of thought, is that shit just don't be making sense.
1: Don't be making sense. Don't be making sense.
0: I think just even outside of
1: of what I believe, the other shit,
0: there's just no consistency there.
1: And and they be loud about the other shit. The other shit be very like it's not it's not quiet, right? It's not like they're just like, hey, we need to make no. Pizza Gate. Somebody got shot over that shit. Uh, like a, a, there was a nigga who showed up at a DC pizzeria with a gun.
0: Yeah, over
1: PizzaGate, they're not playing about that. But y'all got mostly y'all got politicians that literally look at like, like they look at a twelve year old and say that's that's marriageable age. So to put a cap on this part of the conversation, um, we can't allow conservatives to run with the "we protect children" narrative when you have child marriage so rampant throughout this country. I mean, yeah. they even like as much as they hate California they all all they gotta say is like hey california don't have a child hey you can you can get married as a child in california you can get married as a child in california that's all you that's all you gotta say but they're not even focused on that which tells me that it's more about like these made-up stories it's more about the conspiracies than actually addressing what children are actually what what really what really going through because while they while they're while they're doing like exposés on planned parenthood how about we understand the role that, like that, uh, or the circumstances that are being created for children in California, knowing that if your parents say that you can get married, that you've done for.
0: Yeah, you done.
1: Right? Like y'all, y'all trying to like, and this, this is a tip, conservatives. Yeah, I hate California. Bring up the fact that there is no 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 legal age where a parent can say, they, can, they hey, a six-month-old, hey, you can have my six-month-old, married, boom. In, in the state of California, that's a possibility. Yeah. So if y'all want a reason to get on a high horse, you have one. But the reason why we know that y'all really don't care about this shit, because y'all don't even take the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? um So with that being said... Uh, we can transition into the next part of the conversation. Uh, Before we let's...
0: transition over, I want to let the folks listening know that next week we are going to take a little break, a little pause, a little moment next Thursday four Dash 2 It's the plug's anniversary. So uh, we're going to let the plug have some time off to handle that business. I'm going to take some time and recalibrate and do some things. And we're going to gear up for the last week, uh, the 27th of April, to come back. Yes. They've been married for five years. they and been together for, what, eight? Outside I, know, of that,
1: that like shit. That. I know we've been together for like outside, outside of the five years being married just like 12 yeah. years well
0: yeah. time been on the clock so just know we won't be here next week the 20th but we'll be back on the 27th to continue to chop it up with y'all Uh, let's go ahead and transition into the next conversation club
1: so let's talk about the Justins in Tennessee ain't no Tennessee 3 the white woman did not get expelled so she <laughs> is no longer a part of the country so for y'all who don't know What happened in Tennessee, uh, it was two brothers, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones.
0: Well, let's talk about why Uh, we even know who they are. What event transpired in Tennessee that led up to this particular issue?
1: Exactly. Uh, So there was a, what happened with, uh, there was a shooting at a a Tennessee private school Mm -hmm. uh, where I think it was like six people killed.
0: Yeah, three kids, three adults, three nine-year-olds. Three kids. And three adults.
1: And it was a, uh, and so that took place the tennessee the tennessee legislator uh there there are two specific black legislators in the Mm -hmm. tennessee state government who participated in protests to call out the uh, conservatives who refused to pass common sense gun legislation right so when they participated along with another white woman when they participated in these in in these protests the conservatives got so mad and so offended they was clutching their pearls. It was like, he called us a liar, and he was talking on a megaphone, and he was being mean. So they expelled Justin Jones and Justin Pearson from the Tennessee state Legislature. The white woman who was up for expulsion survived by one vote. So, And, and, and the funny thing about it, that one person don't, don't even recognize, you the most racist motherfucker out of all of them.
0: Because yeah. everybody
1: else would have got rid of the white woman, but she was like, nah, she white. Let's save her. Let's right? keep her. So that is bad. uh so there were there were two that uh that were uh expelled Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, and recently within the past uh, like this week, actually, both of them have been reinstated by their constituents. Um Justin to Jones
0: to be clear, this I was just gonna say to be clear, it caused a lot of social outrage too. Like it wasn't there wasn't a decision that they got to make that people accepted quietly. There were a lot of bands, there was a lot of social media conversation, men uh the plugs one of our favorite slogans that came from uh the issue was no justins no peace right no, Justin, no justins no peace <laughs> i saw that on signs and stickers and all types of things because we are just such a, a, a witty group a witty audience yeah, a witty, a witty yeah. society
1: but y'all can't fuck with niggas man we the funniest people out
0: here <laughs> just want to be clear oh. it, it wasn't an issue that evolved silently y'all was probably and most definitely heard about it right
1: Right. And so yeah, so like, you know, these Justins have like because what these conservatives don't realize, I actually made a video if y'all have seen it. Um I had some audio issues, so I'm gonna re-upload it um mm-hmm. after I fixed after I handled the audio issues. But uh y'all y'all seen us talk about it, but they, it was a lot of up uh, like uproar. These conservatives turned uh these two Justins, I call them the Justins, the Tennessee Justins. Mm-hmm. Uh they they national, they in the national spotlight now. They mm-hmm. national heroes now. Because they've been persecuted by the state government uh, in ways that just don't make sense, given what it was that they did. So the uh, the pettiness of conservatives led to creating two new black political heroes in Justin Mm. Pearson and Justin Jones, uh, because the people got their back. Uh, What's happened recently this week, as I said, is that they've been reinstated by both the uh, Memphis and Tennessee or Memphis and uh, Nashville. The districts mm. where or the areas where those two come from. Yeah. The the city councils in those areas voted to reinstate them uh up until this next election. So they're 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 technically considered uh interim, <laughs> like they like interim politi- like interim uh representatives, even though they just right. took their own seats back. Uh but they again they gotta get those seats back in this election coming up next year. Uh but What's what's been interesting about that though, is once they got reinstated, I feel like niggas started to like that. I, I guess when like us as black people, like niggas started to be like, all right, bro, like these niggas is, you know what I mean,
0: I don't, I wouldn't even say once they were reinstated, these conversations have already, they were evolving during the uh, the uh, when they were put out. Right. What what mm-hmm. I I don't know why that word continues to escape. expulsion. When they yeah, were expulsion. expelled, right? I have to use my schoolhouse language. Um, and so I was starting to see like some, you know, just like crystallizations of niggas being interesting toward the situation and toward them as a result of those issues, right? So I think there's mm-hmm. been a lot of as they've driven the and written the course to national coverage and national representation and visibility, I've definitely been seeing chatter. Throughout. So I don't want to make it seem like the conversations were ta- starting after, because that was just a couple of days ago. But I just wanted to kind of clarify: niggas been talking, the streets have been talking.
1: Uh, well, so Toya and I, Toya and I also have been talking, and yes. this conversation, like, so we had we had talked about uh, how what what we felt about how the Justins kind of like presented themselves. You feel me? Uh, there were certain things that we looked at that we thought were right for conversation but then at the same time we because of what they were going through i think both of us we we measured folks we not real social media people we not we don't create controversy in the ways that that most social media create people like to create controversy and so we was like let's let's you know we gonna chill on it you know what i mean we going we gonna let them let a scenario and situation play out but we don't we don't want to come off as voices that are in that you know that are in uh in opposition to what these brothers are trying to do because ultimately mm-hmm. politically we all have similar goals. As soon as me and Toya had this conversation, Black Twitter was like, No, nope, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that. Y'all cannot talk about that shit. Because the very next day, Toya sending me shit, and everything her and I talked about, Black Twitter was Black Twitter was erupting over. And so, uh, real quick, I want to show y'all a couple videos that kind of speak to what black black twitter was speaking to before we look at before we look at a few um tweets so i first want to start with justin jones this is justin jones singing we shall overcome with uh, a a a folk singer who marched i think she like sang with dr king like she she was a part of the civil rights Yeah, she was
0: uh very muchly about like fights uh like anti-war songs uh, songs to question the social consciousness, songs that wanted to rally to get each other to get people together and really unify. That was a lot of the texture of the message. We know during the 60s, we're looking at everything from the Vietnam War right. to challenges to uh, uh, Jim Crow laws and you know right. recalibrating what it means to have justice in this country. So a lot of different conversations at one time. And she was a uh, a present voice, uh, a folk singer who was attempting to to spread through her craft messages of freedom, peace, liberation.
1: So um, this is Justin Jones uh, singing, We Shall Overcome in the Airport. We shall
0: overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome some. Mm hmm. Mm Mm Okay. okay. Well, so that- listen, I'm gonna tell y'all what I told the club. The, one of the things that pisses me off the most about this video was that he
1: let her take the runs. She said, oh D. Oh, yeah. she, took the, oh. she is the professional singer. So you gotta let her take the runs. Sure. You gotta let her take the runs. Okay. Okay. But, hey. So it's 20 it's 2023 and niggas is singing civil rights spirituals. Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh just in Pearson let's let's take a look at uh what how he expresses his Uh, Political activism.
0: There in Shelby
1: County, the Shelby County Commission that just again voted back Justin Pearson to, but uh, the the white the white woman shows up like yeah, so clearly a celebration, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> uh, so you know, at e- even you know when they were because I think they're gonna call it that his uh, Justin Pearson. Shout out the conscious Lee, He was like Justin Pearson's in the whale speech. Will go down in history, uh, mm-hmm. and you know it, it was it was a very spirited speech. But as you can hear, he had that pastor. Uh, he's speaking to us, uh, yes yeah, the uh, yes
0: uh. You know what I
1: mean. Yeah. And so and he had the ad libs though. Like he had the whole, the diction. He had the
0: you know? ad libs. He had the vocal inflections and vocal intonations.
1: The whole, the whole nine, the whole, the whole uh, thing. But. Ten. <laughs> What what uh Black Twitter had very interesting reactions to that shit, though. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So before we get to Toy and I, first, the first thing I want to point out is that the Chappell Show strongly supports both Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. Uh, yeah. They were they were unnecessarily and racistly, if that's a word, I'm gonna make it an adjective. Mm-hmm. I don't give a damn if it is not. In a very racist fashion, they were persecuted in the Tennessee. Uh, uh, house of representatives, period. Yeah, yeah, that the Tennessee legislator what, what happened with uh, they should have never been expelled, they should have never had to be reinstated. And what they were doing we were engaging in their First Amendment right to protest. And actually, the expulsion of Justin Jones and Justin Pearson's actually represents an infringement on their First Amendment rights. So let's get that clear, okay. right? We support. The chop up show supports Justin Jones, Justin Pierce, but we real niggas though, and we and this ain't no echo chamber. And as mm-hmm. much as we love each other, we would if if I can tell Toya where I disagree with her, and this is my dog, this is my mm-hmm. sister, this is family. We can talk about uh, these Justins, but before we get into the way that we look at it, I do want to look at some interesting, some very interesting tweets <laughs> that that uh, that that were in response. To um, what was going on with these brothers? I want to get to the first one that kind of spoke to like the 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 diction, right? The the because uh, I don't want to call it a performance because I understand what was taking place, and it's it's much more significant uh, than just labeling it as a performance. But I want to start with this first tweet to help us kind of understand where uh, the disconnect between black people is. Because we ain't no monolith, right? Things are yeah, not at all. We're, we're different in how we see things. So let me get this pulled up. with me just a second. I'm on the wrong screen
0: here. Um, two. I, I think while the plug is kind of pulling it up, I want to be clear about my position of, and I think that's going to come out of like uncertainty. I don't think it's a matter of sides to be taken in any of this because we're just happy that they have been reinstated to be able to do the job that they were elected to do. But I think. So much of people's responses and the conversations we're having about the displays the Justin's put on are like, is that shit old and antiquated? Where does where does Christianity and faith really fit into the conversation? Let alone the role of our our, our policymakers and the people who make decisions, uh, especially the ones who claim liberal politics. We know what what faith and religion play, what role it plays for conservatives, but I don't think we often see uh, we see black spiritual leaders and black spiritual people but we don't really see young black very religiously inspired individuals on a regular basis and how they feel their position so it's just a lot of back and forth about how we deal with and how we interpret and value a lot of that shit but you got the first tweet pulled up let's look at some of these yeah.
1: and that's what i want to be clear too about the plug i was a youth pastor Coming up, was both
0: matter of fact, youth leaders
1: yeah, in the church. Yeah, man. Like Toya, that Toya, uh, Toya was much deeper in the church than I. Than I mean, I'm pretty sure I was. But like every church I went to, I was actually there was my family's church.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: my 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 great grandmother, my grandmother, my father, we all grew up in the same church. Uh, so, and it was a it was a it was, a, it was Saint Matthew A.M.E. Zion Church. And if you know anything mm-hmm. about A.M.E. Zion churches, them came out of freeze slaves. Then was black people taking control of their own spiritual understanding, even though it was still Christianity. Mm. And so Jay universe said that religion would be a red flag for me. We're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about it, Jay Universe. That's why I want you, I, I want your input, Miss Man with a dragon, and it, everybody else watching. I want y'all input because we're gonna take a look into how certain people like us as black people are responding uh to, to this display. And so First, we have here uh, from Drew Comments on uh, Twitter. Y'all see, I ain't logged into Twitter because I, I don't be on Twitter like that. Toya sent me this. So <laughs> so, so uh, let's go ahead and get into it, though. Uh, Drew Comments said the Justin Pearson stuff has shown me that a lot of black people on Twitter didn't grow up around black people. Toya, what is he speaking to?
0: I mean I think he's speaking to and I and I don't know if he's correct in this assessment but he's speaking to like the traditional black church experience, experience the traditional black spiritual experience that is part and parcel with a lot clearly not all and obviously not all but a lot of black people's you know, Sunday morning weekly routines and whether or not they still do it to this day remains in question. We know that, I mean, a lot of different demographics in the 2023 world, a lot of people in the United States are less religious when it comes to participating in religious services and going to church. But at some Mm -hmm. point in their maturation, they had experienced what we saw basically at Justin Pearson's uh, 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 announcement of his reinstatement, which is very boisterous celebration, repetition, uh, uh, Southern Baptist diction, and a really very familiar uh relationship with uh, in tennessee of excitement right a little bit of shouting a little bit of screaming a little bit of hollering he came about that jacket real quick and what he said what what drew comments i think is also getting at is i saw in a couple of different places people saying you know he was trying to act like james brown you know james brown used to come out of his clothes and, <laughs> ah, and you know do his, <laughs> and do his hand back and do whatever and it's like Comments like that let you know that not everybody grew up in the church. Not everybody has that frame of reference. Not everybody thinks to or points back or connects that back to something that they've seen. And so I get what he's saying. I don't necessarily know if I agree. And I think that it, the comments like these are what turn black people into a monolith or one, you know, homogenized group instead of the very diverse group that it is. But I see what he was getting at.
1: So, in response to your specific criticism, just about the, and, and his criticism and, and what he was getting at, um, Anthony Hegler on Twitter said, "Grew up in the, well, grew up in the black church, and I disliked the 1963 <laughs> voice. <laughs> right. So, and, and then the the comment up under it says it was too coordinated to be a coincidence. Um, looks to me like a lot of them got talking points from somewhere. Money talks will sell their souls to get it. Now, I'm not going that far, right? That that second comment kind of takes it to the conspiracy level but that first comment kind of speaks to more of the conversation that you and i was having about growing up in the black church and still being like nigga it is 2023 mm-hmm. <laughs> right like we're like I, I mean if we still trying to do the creflo dollar like all right but you know what i mean you
0: see for me that was my original criticism and like when i sent it to you originally i was just like what year are we what year is this and i think with the other Justin, with Justin Jones, I very muchly am still kind of, and I think that's something we got to circle back to, is like, I think the year is more relevant in terms of time and timing for that particular strategy of singing Kumbaya songs in the airport and shit. But when I think about <laughs> Justin Pearson, yeah. I think, and, the, and I kind of pulled away from that criticism of being like, bruh, like you kind of trying to do it old school because it's the South. It is Tennessee. It is a place where his family and his, Uh, background and his upbringing is very much rooted in the church. And I feel like, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. I I saw reports of him having intimate relationships with spiritual leaders who are in his family, growing up a certain particular way, and even having his own background in preaching or public oration that has always kind of had tinges of that in it. And so while uh, there were a bunch of people posting videos, well, why does he talk like this in these instances and change his voice in these instances? It's because... Real preachers, when they go home, they're not like, hey, uh, can I have some chicken? Uh, Can you turn that light off before you go upstairs? Uh, Hey, did you lock the front door? Uh, Nobody's talking about like that all the time. But when individuals from a certain background want to speak emphatically, from the South in particular, with that rich Southern Baptist tradition, that's what you're going to get out of them. And I think that kind of has to be all right. I don't think everything has to be usurped and grouped and scooped as a comment. I mean, as a as a performance, as much as it could be understandable, just people being who they are. And I never want to take away the possibility of people. And you, you, I mean, we we got actors, we got pretenders, but I feel like at those heightened moments of passion and of uh, uh, adrenaline, the real version of people often jumps out and leaps out, even when they don't necessarily naturally go there. You know what I'm saying? So I just I want to. I, I feel a way. About completely typecasting him as a, you know, a a caricature of what he should have right. been because I feel like he was just in his bag. You know what I'm saying?
1: So, so let me ask you this: um, Do you think it's fair? Because you said caricature, but I'll use this word: political theater. Do you think? Do you think it would be fair to look at their brand of political activism as black political theater? I
0: don't think it's. Fair because when we talk about political theater, we're talking about the putting on the embellishment, the theatrics for the sake of theatrics that I think has a lot to do with politics. I think we also talk about the juiciness and the salaciousness of a lot of what happens in politics in the ways that like it almost plays like a script. Like I think that's why people love scandals, and it's just like, Jesus, like this is. I couldn't have written this better myself. But I think when it comes to Black political theater, we have to be a little bit reluctant to associate political theater to traditions that we've had in our culture, methods and strategies of resistance, ways of talking and presenting that are presented because stylistically Black people just do it differently. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so I'm, I'm reluctant to call that those instances political theater, largely because I think it erases why we have had to express and speak. We are soulful people, right? Are we not people who talk a little bit more jazz and razzle-dazzle and pizzazz and the Mm. average there? And are those things always necessarily bad? I don't think-
1: Don't make me that nigga to you.
0: I mean, I'm just saying, like, I get it. It's not whatever year, and it wasn't a church house, but people have their habits, their tendencies. And I think contextually, you can understand why people do the things that they do without calling it performance, without calling it political theater. And I want to so shout out is- Went to dragon, I want to shout out to Dragon real quick. I wasn't trying to poop on "We shall Overcome It's a beautiful song. it's a <laughs> it's a union song it, it is it is a rally song that has allowed and has allowed and continues to allow a lot of people to come together and mobilize under one voice. So I'm not trying to poke holes in that part of it, but I think in the context of the you know kind of papering over the actual issue of kids being killed at a Christian school. Like, all that we shall overcome, cool, but no, we ain't overcoming shit right now. I don't think it's, we're not there, no, right? Man, and I get like the that. open optimism invested in that song, but more than anything, I just feel like it was just not responsive to the moment. We are talking about common sense. These are not difficult ideological questions that we have to ask about the value of people. We're, we're talking about killing and shooting kids. And so they were on the same side of that issue, and, and I appreciate that, but I just I'm, I think it's just a fatigue. I'm just so tired. Of those types of performative gestures toward the issue.
1: So, this is why I want to be clear. I am a Justin Jones, Justin Pearson fan. This is interesting. I support yeah. them niggas and what they do. Uh, And I support them holding office. If there was any way that I could vote for them for whatever office they run for, I would. Mm-hmm. But I have to be clear. Go ahead and be a hater. Don't ruin my shit like that. It's, It's black. Toya, it's black political theater. Winter Dragon, I apologize. But We Shall Overcome is what Dr. King was singing. If we're still singing the same songs Dr. King was singing, it means that the efforts that Dr. King put forth wasn't enough. And I'm not willing to say that. I'm not willing to say that Dr. King's efforts wasn't enough. I think that we, Dr. King sang We Shall Overcome so we didn't have to. And standing in an airport, singing, We Shall Overcome, it, 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 it's, the, it's the epitome of black political theater because what it does is it taps into, and what we'll, what we'll discuss in a second in terms of like black liberation theology, but it taps into the ways in which black people historically have leaned on religious institutions, religious beliefs, and religious ideologies to help us frame our political and social perspective. But where we are in 2023 is that's not necessarily needed the way it was in the 60s during when Dr. King was singing it and marching. And, you, and the reason why I say that is because our institutions expect that. Our institutions respect Dr. King. Our institutions, the reason why we hear we shall overcome is because the, inst- the, the, the institutions that dictate our society have said that that's something that we are finding acceptable. That's something that we think is, that's something that we think is the, <laughs> is, is, is the, 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 the people, the man is saying that's an acceptable uh, level of resistance. Because in, in when Dr. King was singing it, he was a troublemaker. When we sing it today, we're doing it in a legacy of somebody who's revered in this country.
0: That I, means I go ahead.
1: That means what? Go ahead. Oh uh, yeah. So, so that means that we got to do something a little bit different because the goal isn't to make them comfortable. We don't want them clapping like yeah, sing that shit. We don't want them doing that. We want uncomfortability, right? We 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 want them to have to deal with like like with like uh, like feeling the pushback we shall overcome was pushed back to jim crow jim crow no longer exists we mm-hmm. overcame jim crow so when we sing, so we shall overcome no longer fits the the struggle of today of 2023
0: but you know the the part of the and I might be giving too much credit and credibility to it but I think why even as I kind of hate on we shall overcome being sung I'm in a in a in a position to flux over all of this because I also think it is very haunting Right. And we talk about hauntology and black uh, uh, critical theory, right, as a conversation about how our ancestors kind of shape and are always ever present with us as we evolve, as we move forward, as we attempt to create new way, means of resistance. And I think it is really? very haunting to hear the same song sung 50 years ago still be uh, repeated, still be sung as people sing arm in arm. I also think outside of the performativity of it, there is something um, uh, palpable Right. About how eerie it is that the same songs are being sung with the same general messages that people deserve to live free and be free and to have freedom. In this particular instance, is kids should have the freedom to go to school and to Mm -hmm. not be targeted or mowed down and people should have the right to go to work without being mowed down by uh, ridiculous people with guns. But I think there is a part of that, too, that says the reason why we still singing these same ass songs is that we still dealing with these same ass stupid issues and that we are in the, the spin cycle. Right. Miss Ma'am chimes in on the black political theater question and says, I don't think it's so much black political theater as it is uh, as it is. That's the biggest example of as black people we have to go off on off of political stages. Right. So less political theater and more of these are the images that we see. And I think with, you know, the relationship that a lot of people have constantly seen of a lot of our black political figures have also been religious leaders. Right. I think there's just a level of tiredness and fatigue and exhaustion with that being what is going to be the path to get us out. There are people who are just kind of tired of that being the playbook or the framework that is being used to uh, to accompany what black liberation looks like.
1: And I think that's what I'm speaking to is more so like the the level of. Like I, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the legacy of the civil of the civil rights movement and the Civil Rights Act. But it's important to recognize that the civil rights the civil rights movement accomplished its goals. The Civil Rights Act, as much as we ignore, like the Civil Rights Act is known as the most important piece of legislation in the history of our government. It made equality the law of the land. You cannot use public institutions, public units of anything as a way to discriminate that's significant extremely significant so that like with them accomplishing that significant goal we now have to find ways to challenge the way that that racism and things like that operate in a world where equality is the law of the land yeah right uh j universe says that's why i get pessimistic i feel you we still fighting the fight that's been going on since before i was born and 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 that's why i want to point out the reason why we think it's the same fight is because we sing in the same songs. The yeah. difference between back then and today is your political enemy will sing. We shall overcome with you. That's the problem. Yeah. And look, I'm going to say this real quick to you. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to just, I'm just add this real quick. Because what we got to remember is that when the Justins were expelled, it that happened and everybody involved knew that they was always going to get their seat back. Because the system had been set up to make sure that even if somebody's like, like root or, uh, unfairly kicked out of uh, uh, the, 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 the legislator, the mm-hmm. rules, the system said that the community gets to decide who goes back. So they already knew they had the community on their side, and that community right. was going to send them right back. So as much as we want to be like, see, this is a problem with the system we can't necessarily say that because the system was set up to ensure that whatever unfairness they dealt with in the well would be taken care of in their, in their local communities. That's why they ended up sent back. They knew they were going to go back. Right. And so that's why it's like, we got to change our approach to challenging these things because now our criticism of the, sy- of the system is, is undermined because the system made sure that they got back to where they were.
0: I see that. I mean, I, I think one thing that I was thinking about, and this is or isn't related to what you just said, but I think it dovetails with something you mentioned a couple minutes ago, is that, and this is, this is what is an enigma to me. Because we can criticize, we shall overcome. And I'm talking, I, wanna, I, hope, I, I hope I'm hope i clear to the people listening. If it sounds like I'm flip-flopping back and forth about how I feel about things, it's because this is a very intergray issue for me. I'm thinking through it mm-hmm. and about it in real time because I'm trying to figure out what we do with these moments. Case in point, People can be over "We Shall Overcome" and sick of hearing it or whatever, but I and, and then Miss Ma'am even said, "Can we get a sway to God uh, flip on We Shall Overcome'? Like, can we get a new mix of that thing, like a, a, re, a, a you know a chopped up and never slopped up mix version of the song?" And I begin to think about how I think people feel like everything is so corny. And so whack, I don't think there is a remix of We Shall Overcome or even a new fight and rally song, that rally song that people would get behind, particularly black people because they all, they like, yeah, that's corny. That's whack. We don't want to do none of that. And so I think a lot of even the more innovative strategies that individuals have tried to use to gain the attention of the masses or to mobilize and come together, even protests. Black people I'm like, man, I'm sick of you doing that and locking arms and walking in the street and shit. That don't do nothing. That don't materialize anything. And so it's just like People who are damned that they do and damned that they don't. I think that's why public expressions of spirituality, spirituality, and you know, guidance from God and faith. And, and I have joy and I'm happy right now. Like those places are places people end up landing back on because those are the only places where you see people really just get turned up and get excited, right? You go to a Christian yeah, church and find somebody right? who feels like God is touching their heart. They get t- more turned up than anybody I seen on any street, ready to change or challenge. So you know what I'm saying, or just as just as turned up. You know what I'm saying?
1: So, like, I mean, just, yeah, talking,
0: talking. Like that. But, Um, I, I just, I really feel like it's just like you got, we got to choose either the old school methods are good and we just need a remix and we need to go back to some of those strategies and reinnovate those and do things, or y'all got a new better idea and y'all gonna pull up on those, let's uh, us use that. But something has to give and something has to happen, and I think the Justins have just resorted to using strategies and techniques and just embodying. Various performances, not performances, but bar- various politics strategies and methods, right? That's right. what they're looking
1: for. And so, and now, for those who don't know, Good. Toya's right. a legend in in the in the policy debate community. For those who don't know, um, Toya is one of those people that if you bring up Toya Green and policy debate, uh, people are going to melt because of how much they love her. Now she, it, but she sure. built her name on making arguments around. Black liberation theology.
0: Right. It's a as amongst a couple different arguments, right? But
1: I mean, I that, that one that one to me is I feel like it stood out because uniquely debate is a very secular of a, a, a white secular space. So mm-hmm. to make arguments about black liberation theology is is is, is full resistance, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, against the the uh kind of like the pedagogy of policy debate. Uh, so I feel like you'll be a more like more of an expert in this to kind of break this down real quick. So I wanna ask you, do you believe that like black Christianity and black liberation theology have a place in social and political resistance today?
0: I do, even outside of people, um, you know, in their criticisms of Christianity, it is undeniable the role that the black church has uniquely played in the uh, resistance, freedom and liberation strategies of the black community, right? James Cone, who is the theorist and social scientist that, that gives uh, a credence to the to black uh, the the black theoretical. I'm, I'm sorry, black the uh, liberation theology. I don't know why I'm getting so tongue twisted, but my uh, but but James Cone who formulated this kind of theory is the one who describes or explains the ways that Black churches uniquely have always existed as not only houses of faith, but locations where individuals uh, are able to get their political knowledge. We know historically, and even to this day, Black churches are where a lot of people in our communities go to vote, that those are the same places that politicians have stopped by and come through and see about because they understand that Black people collectivize in those communities. So for a lot of people and a lot of times during local elections, those are the only ways you get close to your constituents to the people who are leading your particular areas and districts. We also know that black communities have been places of fortress for uh, black organizing that oftentimes they do provide food, provide shelter, provide housing, as many criticisms as we have about the preacher having their money in the pockets of the people and things like that. Black churches have been cornerstones of outreaches and activisms in our communities for Mm -hmm. generations. And because of black liberation theology, Right. One of the principal tenets of it is that their blackness actually becomes before their Christianity, that blackness and identity is such a cornerstone of their of the the, the reality of black people in this country that their identity or their faith is filtered through how they get to experience and actualize that faith. Right. So their blackness becomes an important kind of reference referendum for how we see Christianity play out, how we come to understand the commands that have been given. Uh, by Christ in the Bible and ultimately the agenda that we have to serve our communities and attend to those needs. Right. So uh, there's a bunch of different ways that black liberation theology has been used and explained. Most recently, if y'all think back to the Obama campaign and Jeremiah Wright uh, was one of the more present or visible black liberation theologists that we've seen in, in, in recent times. And that's because both he and right. Cornel West were having very vibrant conversations right now about uh, what, How God was looking at our country, whether God was blessing or damning our country for its issues, for its flaws, for the ways that it's treated marginalized people, particularly black people. And so we've seen black liberation theology interwoven into conversations that we've had over time, even outside of and since uh, Reverend Jeremiah Wright and Cornel West. Right. So just a lot of questions and conversations about the backbone of the faith being the backbone of our community.
1: So, and I'm 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 a little bit more of a heathen uh, than than Toya is,
0: yeah. Uh, but I, I do
1: want to be. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Oh, but I, I do want to I do want to make sure that I, I let it be known that I don't think I think politics requires like performative aspects of it. So like saying that it is, it is black political theater is it is it demonizing it? That's that that's the one thing I do want to get clear. Um, mm. Because again, as a youth pastor, as a, as a youth pastor myself. I do feel that like how we like how we present information is uniquely us. And mm-hmm. because we are spiritual people, like like especially us that grew up in the church, which which kind of prompted that tweet that we saw. It's like when you hear that type of message, it's supposed to resonate. You know what I mean? You, you're supposed to tap in, not just politically, but spiritually. And and I feel like mm-hmm. that's what he was touching on. The thing, the thing I think is the uniqueness about black political theater as opposed to uh traditional political theater or, or normative political theater is that normative political theater has no real relationship with anybody or anything it's only yeah. meant to push or create a narrative black political theater think of it like a Medea play you felt that shit yeah right you know what I'm saying it wasn't you know the, the plays was better than the movie but you know the movies but but what we what what the, the purpose of it was that there was gonna be a message that resonated that's what black that's why uh, uh black liberation theology was so important was because yeah. it wasn't just that the, the that you felt good by him and the pastor, but it resonated about b- like through your experiences, like how yeah. you lived, like right, and so it it pushed you forward in a form of resistance that it 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 reflected both our social circumstances, but also our 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 like uh, a spiritual revival. You, you know and, we we, yeah. we went through. Like we, we we go through evolutions when we hear like that type of message, like uh like delivered that way the the and the, the one thing I say, and I, I'll pass it off to you, is that I believe, however, that we owe it to our ancestors to evolve, mm-hmm. like the the tradition that they gave us, like I think Dr. King wouldn't want us still singing, we shall overcome. Dr. King will want us to have our own mantra that reflects and represents the, the black experience of 2023 because the the white man, the white government, the laws, the politics that Dr. King experienced, we, we not doing him no favors by saying we experienced that same white man because when we go out there singing, we shall overcome, we not getting no water hoses. They put us on the news. When we go out there, we saying we shall overcome, we go viral. Which which means that it's not reflecting the resistance because, like uh, Gil, Gil Scott Heron said, like the it shouldn't the revolution shouldn't be televised. Mm-hmm. So if it's something that's occurring that's shifting the social perspective and the social understanding, that it definitely should not be something that major media corporations are willing to put on their platforms. It should be something that's, that that speak against it. But and, and, but I will say, and then I pass it to you. Cable news and all that type of shit is a part of just the the political game, period. And yeah. so, I, I, it's it's a, it's a thin line that we have to that we have to kind of like play between. But I do think, though, with with this much respect that I have for the Tennessee Justins, I definitely argue that that we and, and them should work towards evolving uh, what, what our political resistance looks like.
0: Okay, and unless, I think this is my last kind of thought on this conversation before we start to close it and move, but mm-hmm. I, I will say this, as we consider ways to evolve our strategies, as we consider ways to innovate and captivate and do uh, a justice to the activisms that we have in our hearts, I would like to warn uh, Black people and people on the right side of right in general to not have this like, uh, second-hand embarrassment, uh, I guess, behind individuals who are on the front lines doing the work, grinding and finding their own relationship to how it is that they work to liberate our people, regardless of the cause, whether it's about Black people, whether it's about gun violence, whether it's about police brutalities, whether it's about how women and non-cis men are being treated in this society, regardless of it, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm in a weird place because my first impulse was to laugh and crack up when I heard we shall Overcome. My first impulse is to be like, bro you is doing all this shouting and shit and people not really going to be able to understand it. But I had to check myself because I think uh, it's a question of respectability, right? I think when we get the secondhand embarrassment or when we have these responses to these types of approaches and strategies uh, of, of, of protests and things like that, what it is is you kind of being ashamed and, and scared and kind of secondhand embarrassed because either it's not something you would have done or, and I think more importantly and more problematically, and more anti-blackly, you're more concerned about what the white people are going to think when they see niggas shouting and when they see people, uh, you know, singing and doing what they want to do and resorting to some of these strategies, tactics, you're like, ooh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And I just, I don't like it because I think that they think who gives a shit about what they think. And I think a lot of our resistance and a lot of our freedom is going to be uh, predicated off of getting away from what other people think about. I think that holds us back a lot and I think that it does so on a personal level, on an interpersonal level, and on a, a socio political level. And so to be all cringe or whatever about either something, and it's okay if you opted out of Christianity, it's okay if you've opted out of traditional policy, uh, p- politicking, and policymaking and the ways that these conversations play out. That's cool, but you don't have to yuck other people's yums, right? You don't, especially if you're not out there with your own strategies and your own relationships and your own orientations and your only theoretical backgrounds, then I think you don't really get the right to be like, oh, I don't like how you did that because what are you doing? What have you innovated? What strategies have you provided? In what ways have you linked up to them, tapped into them and being like, here's something. I, like nobody's doing that work. So when it's all said and done, it, take, it takes audacity. It takes energy. It takes investment. It takes love for your people to get up behind the mic. It takes that same love to, you know, have that unabashedly, unashamed uh, proclamation of faith and of joy and of hope and of spiritual. It, take, it, takes, it takes some gumption. It takes some energy. So we behind our keyboards, we behind our computers, criticizing people who are out there doing the work. And we can't never forget that. And we definitely can't sit up here and be ashamed of them or be embarrassed and, you know, kind of pull back and retreat from what they are doing because it makes us uncomfortable. Right, They're doing a whole lot more for them kids that should have never got killed at that school. When it's all said and done, we talk about people who are putting on and going up, not for their own political agendas, not because they're trying to line their own pockets, not because they have some political agenda to get on some radar for the future. No, they are pissed off, confused, perplexed, upset and unapologetic. Right about the ways that young children and people are dying doing regular shit that our society said that we not only need to be able to do but are supposed to be doing. Kids supposed to go to school. Yeah. People supposed to go to work, and they're getting killed yeah. doing stuff that they supposed to be doing. How much sense does that make? Cool. So you can hate yeah. the way that they are criticizing those things, but you can't get away from the fact that at least they're the ones doing the criticizing. That's me. Yeah. So so yeah. As,
1: as, as we as we start to close out. um, I think I think what's important uh, that that I think we we able to recognize as as past debaters as as a debate coach somebody that's still mm-hmm. in the, in the uh, policy debate community is that uh, this dialogue is necessary for for growth and and development um, and while I'll straight up say I'll straight up say I support Justin Jones and Justin Pearson um, no Justin at, at, no peace. no stop to be clear but i but at the same time like whenever i hear it like even i do spoken word one day i may i may drop one of my spoken words on the platform whatever why not i don't do spoke i don't do the i live my life trying to understand i don't talk like that yo like even even when i was a preacher like i didn't talk like that right like i gotta i I talked how i talk now that may not be fair because like i've you know, I'm, I've been known as naturally being a good speaker, and so you know, I like how I I'm, I'm able to do me right. But ultimately, yeah. I believe that we like if we're re- if we really want to show respect to our ancestors and they struggle, and and the things that like the people f- from just the, our recent ancestors, just the civil rights movement, because you know a lot of them are still alive. People, a lot of like a lot of those people experienced the civil rights movement, or a lot of them are still here. Yeah, right? and we. I mean... about? Right. And now now we are approaching that age to where a lot of them, you know what I'm saying, like, are, are, are you know, up there in age. But the, but what we have to recognize is that the goal for what they were doing was to lay the foundation. They don't want us doing what they did. They want us doing things that reflect the politics of today. We're not dealing with the same white man. Yeah. The white man today will, will hear that preacher shit and be like, he's a great speaker, right? They'll hear that preacher shit and be like, let's put that on the news. Let's give him an interview. And and while somebody like Justin Pearson, definitely, and Justin Jones, they need all the platforms they can get. Black people, like young black people across the country need to hear them, brothers. But at the same time, don't mimic or mock, or not, not necessarily mock, but don't, you don't want to regurgitate or mimic what it is that they're doing. How can you show a different side of that, a different reflection of that? Black liberation theology. Uh, Danielle said that's true too. It should really come down to what your contribution is, and understanding that there's more than one approach to the revolution. Just make mm-hmm. sure you're doing your part. <laughs> exactly. So even yeah. the, like so, when you have people that are critical of of Justin Jones or, or uh, and people that are cr- critical of Justin Pearson, our criticism should not be of them. And we shouldn't, and, and actually, we shouldn't have any criticism of how they move. If we want politics to be reflected and look a particular way for black communities, we should be those examples. Mm-hmm. there is some niggas in Tennessee. I'm sure that it's a bunch of black people in Tennessee, as, as we saw in the video, that that mm-hmm. resonates with. So yep. if we like, okay, I want to resonate for, for with politics for people that look like me, all right, I don't yeah, I'm need fine. to talk like Dr. King. Yeah, But I still need to make sure that I'm moving with the energy and I'm moving in line with Justin Pearson. I'm moving in line with Justin Jones, Mm -hmm. even if I think I don't need to sound like that. Even if I think that my community don't sound like that.
0: And I'll allude to some of the other criticisms. I know we're wrapping this up to get done, but a lot of people over the Course of Justin Pearson's uh tenure have been like, Oh, why wow, you got that haircut? You got that afro, Da-da-da-da. you look goofy, my nigga, this ain't the 70s, whatever, whatever. He also has shown up, you know, in dashikis with suit coats over him and was criticized, you know, and it's, it's cool if you don't want to put the shiki on, don't put the shiki on, but understand that where dashikis come from on our continent, that is considered to be professional wear and attire. It is what you put on when you go, want to go to public spaces and be seen as reputable, as uh, respectable, and as dignified, right? Their shirts don't have collars on them with buttons going down the middle. That's just not what that looks like. I have taught in dashikis. We used to, you didn't used to debate in dashikis, but me and the conscious <laughs> League and Brother she used to de- debate in dashikis. Right? To so shout out to, uh, to uh,
1: political, uh, Perfect Prophet. Shout out to Perfect Prophet. Go ahead.
0: Shout out to the Perfect, perfect Prophet, definitely, because they for a while had an era in countless policy debate where wearing the dashiki with the J's was the thing to do. I got my style points from them, but if that's not for you, it's just not for you. That right, because it has to be criticized.
1: Lee was my brother. You know, not would like Lee is my brother. Like when we debate, even though we it had we had different we had different debate partners, but like we were still inseparable. Like the only time we yeah. were separate is when niggas was doing our debates with our own partners. You know what right. I'm saying? Like that's the only time that. But you're not gonna catch me in a dashiki. Not, but it, it doesn't have to do with I, because I feel away with dashikis and all those other things. I just don't feel like it's my politics. But yeah. with somebody wearing a dashiki on the, floor of, uh, on the floor of the Tennessee legislator, that is a specific politic that I'm always going to support. Mm-hmm. Like the legacy of Dr. King being reflected on the floor of the Tennessee legislator, that's something I'm always going to support. Even if I don't sound like that, I'm going to stand behind it because mm-hmm. ultimately I know that what, though, what the Tennessee Justins are doing is, 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 is something that is, is to the benefit of black people as a whole. The image of that afro, the image of that yep, you know, that 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 uh, ponytail, because Justin Jones is half Filipino, mm-hmm. uh, and so you know that the they know what they what you know what their history are and their legacy is. And one thing that that we at like when we came up when, uh, that was a part of our political maturation was being counter hegemonic. Yes, that means it's representing a a a force, representing an influence that goes against. The normative instant like powers that operate, um, uh, that, that we operate within. Wearing that afro, wearing that dashiki pushes back against the normative representations of what power looks like. Because if mm-hmm. because where that wearing that dashiki is a reflection of blackness and a white power structure, yeah. Now I can go on my you know, black nationalist pro-black shit, but we're gonna keep it, we're gonna give y'all light work today. You Know what I mean? I may not be a nigga that'll wear a dashiki, but you but like, I swear to god, I'll fight for a nigga that will wear one in front of all, like in Congress. I'll fight for a dashiki in the White House, I'll fight for a Dashiki in any state legislator in any state capital. Yeah, right. Like Miss Like like Miss Ma'am said, it is the open display of rep- and representation of black for me because we live in a country that tells us that when you distance yourself from blackness, that's when you able to succeed. When you able to move your remove yourself from blackness. Jay Universe yeah. said, "I just had to Google what a dashiki was." Boy. We still love
0: you, Jay. We still got love for you, Jay. Don't you worry about the thing. know, no,
1: yeah, yeah, it's love. And we love, we love Jay Universe, no. and we love his cat. But, but we gonna okay. take a
0: black card. You good with us? You good with us? But listen, I don't care if a nigga
1: showed up with a uh, Allen Iverson jersey, some some three times pants. You know what I'm, saying? You know what I'm saying and some air force ones on the on on the floor i'm gonna fight for that nigga too because that is oh, a representation of blackness anytime man. we able to represent and, and stand for and support black people as a whole god damn it that's what i'm doing even if it's not my blackness yeah even if even if it ain't what my blackness look like so um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you the uh, the last words on this My one. My last words are out.
0: the same as they were a couple moments ago. Quit getting secondhand embarrassment from niggas out there doing the work. It'll take you a whole lot further. It don't really matter as long as people out here getting it in and doing that work and showing up for the call when the call gets put out. And that's what, you know, for better or for worse, a lot of individuals do. We can be critical in a whole nother conversation is whether or not we even support, you know, people like Justin Jones and, and Justin Pearson using their political energy in spaces like that that are automatically going to undermine and be disingenuous to their purpose and their mission, right? There are conversations about whether or not Black policymakers, you know, are, are you know, worth, the, not worth supporting, but whether or not that type of work and political energy is where Black people should be putting their political energy and political uh, capacity to, right? There's a lot of things that could be said, but at the same time, I'm not going to sit up here and go too hard on them because I don't know what it means to sit in a room with other Tennessee white policymakers and have to hold the line and be about your business and represent your politics and defend yourself and defend who you are and defend your culture at every turn. So as much as I don't really agree with the state, with the institutions, I don't think they're going to change. I don't think they're going to make better laws and and legislation and gun violence or anything else. At the same time, I know that is one of many front lines we have to be on the fight. And if I'm not going to show up to fight on that hoe, I definitely need to be careful. Right, about how critical I am for the people who do. So again, be careful who you put your mouth on. Be careful about how you uh position yourself to get secondhand embarrassment about something you're not even willing to go out there and create an alternative to because definitely be list. careful like who you hater. put your mouth on. You definitely, definitely. be careful, who you, <laughs> be careful who you put your mouth on. But yeah, yeah but what, said, it's it's what we always hair. say though, we ain't no monolith. live and let live, just always hold that ass accountable, and that's a word that that ass to the word I Thank you. Period. You know what I'm saying? Hey, so with that being
1: said, it's it's real black leftists, right? Shout real out black, black
0: leftist
1: hey, shout out to you. Uh real black leftists understand that blackness does not look like anything specific, that it's not a monolith, and that we're fighting for the immense like the, the freedom, right, mm-hmm. and the autonomy of black people throughout this country. So uh we'd like to thank y'all for being a part of another chapter. we going we're not gonna see yeah. y'all next Thursday. I got my anniversary, so we're not going to see y'all next Thursday. But uh the Thursday after that, I'll probably do a live or something. Y'all know I'll be popping up. I got some plug explains I want to do. So y'all see me shortly. Uh But with that being said, we're going to close the show the way we start the show. We out.